Hello, and welcome to Modern Medieval, the podcast. I'm Megan. And I'm Ello. And today we're going to be talking about the comparisons of the Black Death in the Middle Ages and coronavirus. But before that, Ello has something to share. I have a quick correction um, from our last episode, thanks to one of our listeners. Um, we mentioned that the University of Bologna, established in, 80, in 1088, was the first uh, medieval university. However, this is actually incorrect. According to UNESCO, the first university is actually the University of Al-Qurayn, also known as Al-Qurayn University, which was founded by Fatima Al-Fahiri in 859 in Fez, Morocco. And it was a community mosque with an associated school. The university still exists today, and it offers studies in Islamic studies, legal sciences, comparative jurisprudence, and more. However, there's also another university, um, which we've come across since uh, doing more research, uh, which is the University of Al-Azhar University in uh, Cairo, Egypt. It's gained its university status in 1961. However, it was established as early as 970 AD. Um, it was originally a madrasa, so it was a school that taught students from primary to tertiary level, and it was the first known Islamic center, which has now developed a modern cur curricular um, to ensure its survival. Wow, so yeah. thank you, dear, dear listener. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, great. And it just shows the Europeanized Western view of medieval history and with that education and in fact there were two prior to the medieval establishment in Europe so thank you listener and this is something that we definitely want to explore not only throughout all our episodes but we do have in the works kind of brewing in our minds a university college education episode that will hopefully address this and hopefully we can also bring in some Eurasian and East Asian education yes. in as well. Yes. So for this week, <laughs> we are going to be looking at rats and bats. Woo! Fun title. Yeah, a little bit of onomatopoeia, rhyming, etc. going on <laughs> there. So for this week, and really, as we mentioned in our you know, introduction episode, the reason why we thought of doing this podcast was because with the introduction of COVID-19 spreading throughout the world, moving from pan or epidemic to pandemic, that there's a rhetoric going along in headlines for the coronavirus that are ringing and echoing of the medieval. There's talk about the apocalypse and apocalyptic nature as well as there have been comparisons between the Great Plague, the Great Mortality, the Black Death. All of these are in just different names for the 14th century bubonic plague, which yep. went from 1347 to 1353. There are differing dates. Sometimes it's said to have ended in 1351. It depends on where you're looking and your criteria. So this got our gears rolling and going and dusting off our aspiring medieval wannabe. <laughs> wannabe. We took the things that we have learned from our class with 
Professor Robert Mills and looked at the headlines and decided that we wanted to share this with you all. So we're going to share a few clips. We'll dive into them afterwards, but for now, enjoy. <laughs> we hope you enjoy. And I continue to shake hands, and uh, I think it's very important that we, you know, people obviously can make up their own minds. I think that... Think I'm going for a walk. You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look, please know something you didn't do. I feel happy. I feel happy. Again, I want to express our nation's well wishes to Prime Minister Boris Johnson as he wages his own personal fight with the virus. Not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, hopefully that has made you either laugh or go, where the heck are they going with this? <laughs> oh, it's quite some, quite frankly, dark humour, but here we go. <laughs> Yeah, this is such a light subject, so. Yeah. <laughs> so that first clip was Prime Minister Boris Johnson of the United Kingdom on March 3rd, talking about how he was continuing with his political duties and going around and shaking hands with patients in the hospital. We then spliced that with a clip from Monty Python's The Holy Grail. And this is known as the plague scene or bring out your dead for some humor where he's happy and wants to go for a walk. We then have President of the United States of America, Donald Trump, wishing that Boris Johnson recovers from the coronavirus that he contracted at late March, early April. Yeah. Potentially from indiscriminately shaking hands with hospital patients. Who knows? Who knows? And then ending it with another clip from Monty Python, where he's not yet dead. Yeah, we thought it was quite a funny contrast, because um, in our class, we kind of looked at medieval films and um, this kind of surreal situation that kind of occurs. And we thought it worked quite well with the surreal times in which we're living in. Yes, definitely. There's definitely a, a ripple effect between all of these. <laughs> yeah. And it's just it may be bananas. too soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, it's bananas once again, how astute Monty Python was. Monty oh, Python, God. the Holy Grail. You'll hear us talk about it a lot on this podcast <laughs> because of how applicable it is to, yeah. unfortunately, to what we're going through right now. Yeah. Being a Monty and Python skit, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think this is really one thing that we've come to realize and you know Megan and I have had tons of conversations about this um about how much the medieval is in our culture and especially in these really um quote-unquote unprecedented times um we have to turn back to what we know and what people have lived before us and so this was really part of our inspiration um, and today's part of today's discussion. Um, and in fact, we wanted to bring uh, into this discussion some of the great um, plague authors. Um, so, so one thing that's to know is that, of course, in this time, lots of people have listened and read plenty 
mm-hmm. and some have decided to either escape and some have decided to either like and get informed and read what others have had to say and one of these people is Boccaccio who wrote the Decameron um he wrote it in 1353 and it was a book of novellas in which 10 um, people were hiding from the city which was full of the plague and they were telling each other stories to keep themselves occupied and so one passage that we thought was you know quite relevant was this one In this suffering and misery of our city, the authority of human and divine laws almost disappeared. For, like other men, the ministers and the executors of the laws were all dead or sick or shut up with their families, so that no duties were carried out. Every man was therefore able to do as he pleased. Oh, boy. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? (sighs) And I'm going to counter you another Boccaccio quote. So Ooh, a challenge. <laughs> I will admit before I read this that I have never read the Decameron. <laughs> I, That's okay. It's lengthy. <laughs> I take you for the expert on Boccaccio oh, and please Dante don't. in this podcast. <laughs> well, between the two of us, you definitely know more than me. <sighs> I, so I came across this uh, Decameron quote bringing, again, modern and medieval together on Twitter, on the medieval Twitter feed. So this is an excerpt that begins referring to what you were saying, people isolating and quarantining themselves and separating apart. So it starts there, and then you'll hear the transition. So they refrained from speaking to outsiders, refused to receive news of the dead or the sick, and entertained themselves with music and what other other amusements they were able to devise. Others took the opposite view and maintained that an infallible way of warding off this appalling evil was to drink heavily, enjoy life to the full, go around singing and merrymaking, gratify all of one's cravings whenever the opportunity offered, and shrug the whole thing off as one enormous joke. So, oops, just thinking of the enormity of the joke. And thinking back to Trump and Johnson. And many others, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Not all. Not Angela all. Merkel in Germany, I think, has been doing a quite a great job. The Prime Minister of New Zealand. She's so been great. I don't know if we also notice a theme. The women are are doing something right here. I know. It's just, you know, <laughs> not to point a finger, but... Uh. <laughs> Someone knows how to handle a crisis. Um, <laughs> But also, uh, Elo, especially going to the quote that you mentioned and thinking about contemporary times and this escapism, this mode of storytelling and the community around that and also that as a way to cope with the horrors that are surrounding due to the pandemic makes me think immediately of perhaps the most prevalent source right now, which is Netflix. Oh, good one, Netflix. And binge watching some more. Yeah, uh, binge watching. I have two. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what have you been your uh, oh, binges? Well, my worst, my real worst is. Your worst, yeah. It's keeping up with the Kardashians. Oh, not medieval at all. No. 
<laughs> no, I've, I've I've chosen really to binge really sh- stupid, really easygoing things, um, which you know I think it's one way to go with it. Um, and I just don't I don't know other things I've I've tried to watch films because I thought that was better than watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't go very far. I watch about one and then get bored. Um, I've tried reading and that doesn't work very well either for me Um, so TV really is shit shows is really what I'm doing at the moment how about you yeah so fair Um, I've been a little bit all over the place so I've had my fair share of binge watching television I watched all of Avatar The Last Airbender The Legend of Korra I got I rewatched all of Rick and Morty because Mm. half a season four released so five episodes oh my god So I figured that I needed more context, so I rewatched all that. But then, on the flip side, <laughs> <laughs> I have been thriving by Ooh. watching at least 20, if not over 25, classic horror slasher films. Going for the realism, aren't you? Oh, definitely. Give me the death. Give me the blood. The gore. <laughs> All of it has been such a fun little treat for me. I've also been able to tell myself that it's a form of research for my <laughs> <laughs> PhD proposal because I'm dealing with uh, Carol J. Clover's The Final Girl Theory, which is all throughout the horror and slasher film oh, genre. Cool. Yeah, so it's really interesting. And a lot of people don't know this, but Carol Clover is a medievalist. Really? Yeah. So Bob actually introduced me to her because I was supposed to utilize this final goal theory in my Buffy and Head Geography essay, which mm-hmm. we will save for a later episode. So, bing. Yeah, but, that's its own thing. <laughs> but it's definitely its own thing. But no, there's this interesting relationship, I guess, to think about of the quote-unquote barbarity of slasher films and then Clover as a medievalist studying that. So... Mm. Once again, the medieval and it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's permeating everywhere. Yeah. I think what's interesting really is that we've got into these times feeling like no one had lived through this. And mm-hmm. in reality, that's not really the case, is it? No, not at all. It's funny seeing the apocalyptic rhetoric surrounding the current pandemic that we're in because... For those of you who don't know, apocalypse actually comes from a Greek term meaning revelation. That's why the, the last book of the Bible, Revelations, is actually called the, I don't remember, it's like apocalyptus or something along the lines of that. But it's the revelation of you know, the final judgment. And yet, if we take this idea of revelation and apply it to where we are now, yeah. I actually do think that we could say we're in an apocalyptic time. Yeah. Not rivers running with blood and locusts and everything yeah. and whatnot, but that idea for sure. It's interesting because, again, ap- apocalypse to me is a term that has had like, I've always thought of it as like having these terrible consequences, like the end of the world. It, to me, it carried such kind of a negative stigma and in a way, Perhaps it, you know, the term revelations, it has carries a different um, 
correlations and meanings and understandings. So again, you know, this is how my mind has been blown <laughs> by studying this. It's just the, the, the ways that we think about these things is actually perhaps erroneous. And by thinking about it differently, we may be able to cope better, quote unquote. Yeah, no. And um, so I just wanted to fact check myself and going off of this and then again to its root in the medieval. So it comes from apocalypsis, meaning revelation, but the way that we use the term apocalypse came about in the late 14th century. So late 1300s, which really? is going to place us in oh. when the great plague, the black plague, which is thir- mid, well, it's mid 14th century, but there's definitely a parallel there. That's for sure. Really, really compelling. It also makes me think of Carl Dreyer's, Nope, it's Ingmar Bergman. I apologize. Ingmar Bergman, uh, The Seventh Seal, which takes it's place during a plague time. It's kind of a no time. He wears a crusader outfit, but it's kind of a neither here nor there. It can apply to today. Yeah. But that it, film is rife with apocalyptic mentality. And in the end, it, there's the famous dance macabre scene. Yeah. So the dance of the death for those yeah. of you who may have not seen it. I, I mean, we've both watched the film in our class and we'd really recommend it to anyone who is wanting to explore this theme a bit more. Um, the photography is in, insanely beautiful. Um, and I think as well, the, the real beauty in Bergman's film is how he manages to capture very famous icons that we've all seen in our daily, well, in our lives, probably about, you know, the the arrival of death, Um, death and the main character playing chess Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, the the dance of death. And those are things that, you know, have always been portrayed as medieval and get to see them in such beautiful lighting and beautiful scenery, which, which makes you think that, you know, it is still prevalent. Yes, no, definitely. I mean, this film in and of itself has become a staple in cinema and film studies. And the scenes of death playing with the, um, the crusader, his name's Antonios Bloch, played by the late Max von Sydow, um, that has shown up across all sorts of popular media and pop culture like The Simpsons, I bet South Park has done it. Like that's a, such a iconic scene and idea and the way to like play and cheat death. And this also really, by the end with this dance of death scene, we don't want to really give away the, the plot of the film because we highly recommend it's beautiful. Yeah. We've also been thinking of maybe doing a live viewing of this at some point. For those of you who may be interested, let us know. But the, the relationship with death in the Middle Ages versus now is something that's really different. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Um, we, I feel like we're very distant from death, at least in my personal experience coming from Southern California. I'm not going to speak for all Americans or everyone. I mean, but. I mean in mine too. Um, I don't, I, I should say as well that I'm not religious, so I don't have that kind of belief and it's not part of my mm-hmm. culture. I mean, it is um, 
not nationally, but it isn't in my personal life. Um, right. And so I kind of feel like it, one thing that really became evident um, in this time is that, you know, in Italy, for example, did you see these images? I don't know if you did. And if you haven't, maybe don't don't see them because they're not <laughs> very nice. Um, of the Hospital of Bergamo? Uh, I may have. It's, it was very... Um, there was this footage of all of the people who died in Bergamo. Bergamo was one of the worst hit places in Lombardy. So probably one of the worst place, one of the places that has been worsely hit in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for like, I can't remember now, it feels like a long time ago, though it really wasn't. Um, four days they had like hundreds of deaths. And it's this very small town. So it's incredible how we went from never thinking about death to death being right around the corner. Right. In a way that it was never, I, I felt unprepared, really. I don't know how you felt. Oh, definitely same. I mean, my personal relationship with death is I have thus far only had one immediately immediate family member pass away. And that was years ago. I was, I think, 11 at the time. So over a decade ago. And... I mean, you being in Italy, it's it was much more prevalent there. Even though I'm stationed in London now, like I haven't have, like seen the the carnage. I know that's a horrible word to use, but you see these images and you read the stories. And New York is the first that pops into my mind of hospitals just being inundated with the sick, and the morgues having these mobile morgues for all the bodies and that they don't have time to keep up with them yeah. and I read this one really beautiful and heartbreaking and emotional article in the New York Times about a nurse who works in the morgue and each morning she goes and picks up daffodils to go and place on the the dead bodies in the mobile uh, morgues so that these bodies have Some something dignity. yeah uh, personal and intimate there because families being able to claim these bodies is weeks and then to take them to the mortician yeah. to be prepared for burial I mean they're overwhelmed and it's just this I feel like it's a there's a conflict at least for me that I'm still struggling with of we just crossed the 100,000 death mark that's crazy isn't it? which is crazy and then my brain, you know, very sadly goes, oh, but there's over 7 billion people in the world. But yeah. then we're only starting month four of this being a pandemic. Yeah. The Black Plague in the 14th century lasted from 1347 to 1351, 53. I mean, that's years. And it wiped they out over yeah. 50 million people. And as well, <laughs> I mean, they didn't travel as much as we do. And they didn't travel as far either. So... Yeah, they I think as well, I, I mean, I haven't been keeping up with the new news as much. I, I admit I just had a bit of a, you know, when it's a bit, it feels like a bit, a bit too much. I kind of have mm-hmm. hit that point in my um, COVID momentum. Um, that is so fair. Yeah. Um, but like developing countries such as India um, and Bangladesh, for example, have been really badly hit and not much has been said. Because the peak is expected to be, I think, later in the summer, if not October. And, you know, 
situation there is quite different to what New York is facing or America or Europe is facing. Right. Yeah. The timeline for all the different countries is so different. And there's also this mentality, again, of invincibility and kind of selfish inconvenience, which I feel is very contrary to the Middle Ages, where it was very community-based, 100% community-based. It wasn't you versus everyone else. It was, we were together. But if you look at the news in America right now, which I read each morning, even though it's perhaps not the best way to start the day. So hopefully it also can't get any worse after that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the numbers currently, even though there were months of isolation, are worse than the peak that we had in April. And they're just going up. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense. And they're mainly youth, you know, late teenagers, early 20-year-olds. But this goes again to Boccaccio, are hosting coronavirus parties. And... That's bananas. I mean, you know, Boccaccio's Decameron is like, I mean, if anyone wants to read it, I mean, I haven't read it all, so please don't take my words lightly, but it is a comedy. All of these stories are quite ironic and they have a lot of funny moments and really obvious comedic effects that make, you know, present day readers laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's kind of ironic that like this you know with the same kind of situation that's not you know obviously COVID and uh, the plague are different one is a bacteria and one is a virus so they're not exactly the same thing but when faced with the same thing the reactions are completely different and it's just that that contrast in itself is ironic even more so Yes, no, I 100% again agree that it's crazy. And also, if you look historically, so the the great mortality that we think of, the 14th century plague, was actually the second kind of major plague that was experienced in the Middle Ages. The first occurred in, I believe, 950 in the Middle East. And then it, quote unquote, you could say went dormant for a while and then due to trade routes migrated. And so a lot of the knowledge during the Great Plague came from the scientists and doctors the medical people in the Middle East because a lot of what Europeans took for medicine came from scholars in the, the Middle East, which is something that we tend to not talk think of it not yeah um and so there is that element they're they're learning and adapting in a way to the best that they can whereas we we had the SARS pandemic in the early 2000s what symptoms did that have I don't remember it very well it was avian flu I don't really remember it because it, it was like 2002 2003 so I was seven, eight, but in, according to the World Health Organization, SARS coronavirus, SARS-CoV, so same virus chain, uh, was identified in 2003. It is thought to be an animal virus from an as yet uncertain animal reservoir, perhaps bats, that spread to other animals, civet cats, 
and first infected humans in the Guangdong province of southern China in 2002. It ultimately went to 26 countries and had more than 8,000 cases by 2003. But since then, there's been a very small amount of cases. Its transmission is primarily from person to person. So the way that we think coronavirus is currently transmitted, that we don't, the COVID-19, I should say, but we're not 100% sure, but that's what the health professionals are thinking. Um, And so SARS appears to have occurred mainly during the second week of illness. So again, kind of similar to COVID because there's the two-week incubation period. Um, And SARS corresponds to the peak of the virus excretion and respiratory secretions and stool. And when cases with severe disease start to deteriorate clinically, this is again who, this isn't the way that I speak. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, So an initially dry cough, shortness of breath. Uh, So I guess that's a coronavirus symptom just as a whole in that brain. But SARS also had diarrhea, which is a more minor. uh, It doesn't occur as much in COVID-19 from what I know. But there's not a vaccine for it. They're still doing experimental vaccines for SARS as well as coronavirus. And then to talk about another zoonotic potential pandemic was H1N1, which was swine flu. Uh, The famous, the infamous. Right. So we've had both of those in the 21st century. And then there's all these other pandemic potential strands of virus being detected. So that's just wild. And terrifying. And if we're really unprepared, in a way, we really... Yeah, it's... Yeah, we're really unprepared. I feel like this is really what has has been emphasized, is that we don't... It it feels like when, when thinking about the medieval, what we have left, you know, the paintings, the texts, Mm -hmm. um, the archives, we really don't, they've got something on us. Yes, definitely. It's, I feel like we aren't learning and that this, this worldwide ethos at the moment of it'll pass, science will solve it, that it can't get that bad because we're in this quote unquote uh, advanced future is going to be the downfall and that the question of are we learning from this apocalypse is this revelation actually speaking to us as individuals mm-hmm. and yeah it's just it is an unfortunate reckoning that we're facing and then of course this is bringing out a bunch of other problems throughout the world and highlighting other issues. So America especially has been this tinderbox where we've seen other forms of history reappearing, especially in America is civil war era, Confederate ethos and mentality of the, you know, make America great again, which is basically like bring back slavery, which is horrible. But this also links into environmental issues. Yep which we've all been avoiding. Right, and thinking that it's, not happening. that it's a myth and that it's not true. Mm. Whereas historically, 
historians of the Black Plague have looked and the years prior to both the 10th century um, pandemic as well as the great mortality of the 14th century, there were anywhere from five to 20 years of immense environmental and climate change, either super Mm. wet times or drought. And this is because the vehicles of the virus, the, the vermin, the rats, the marmots, and I don't know if they're squirrels, but animals like this, (laughs) their movement due to the changing habitat and with them, the fleas, because the fleas were actually the cause, then caused a larger issue. (laughs) So, And thinking about the ways in which, you know, at least in my perception of my my past perception of the medieval mm-hmm. i feel like i would have expected you know uncultured this is an awful term i might let's not say uncultured but um this differently skilled set of people not knowing how to face this epidemic this illness and actually mm-hmm. um from our research the kings were and we're getting informed by the scientists as to what they could do and what they should be avoiding. And so this idea that, you know, we're still at the same place where we have to met, seek medical help and advice is valid. And it's, it's interesting, these parallels, because you wouldn't really think about them in no. other circumstances. Yeah. And leaping off of that, this idea that, you know, they are this ignorant <laughs> troglodyte time perhaps troglodyte also is not the right word but this kind of dirty filthy violent yeah that's not true that we see a lot of evidence of the ways in the middle ages especially again the the great plague so the 14th century that they were covering their faces they were accompanying their faces with uh wormwood which is a really powerful smell the wealthy were using ambergris that they were burning other smells and also thinking of like smoke, like incense, if they couldn't carry a cloth with them. Of course, this is related to the ideas of humors and miasma. Yeah. But the, the idea of covering the face to yeah. prevent, which they didn't have face masks at the time. The plague doctors that we think of with those really terrifying bird masks stuffed with incense those didn't exist in the Middle Ages. Those are actually from the late 17th century plague, especially in London, so 1660s, 1670s. So, anachronism. And again, that kind of shows, right, the way in which anything that seems a bit bizarre and a bit out of place is place, it takes the name of medieval because we don't really believe that that could be in, you know, the, the idea of progress It can be further on in history. Right, yeah, it can't be at the like Renaissance or the beginning of the Enlightenment era, the scientific mm-hmm. revolution. It's like, no, this is weird. This is superstitious. This is religious. Therefore, it's medieval. Yeah. Therefore, it's barbaric. Therefore, it's uninformed. 
And it's also, you know, I mean, I heard that um, they use vinegar as well to disinfect, which, by the way, <laughs> in Italy, it's still one of the main things that, you know, the grandmas tell you to use to disinfect your bathroom and your kitchen because it kills bacteria. Right. And so, you know, they weren't that far off. No. And they, even if they didn't necessarily know that, there was this, they saw the cause and effect. And there was also this instinctual testing of it that proved to work. And another misconception about the Middle Ages that we are again kind of seeing as tension during our current pandemic times is science versus religion. So during the Middle Ages, we think they were religious, they were anti-science. This is not true. This is (laughs) false. So many of the doctors and medical scientists were in fact theologians and monks. And during like times of the Great Plague or other times, people would listen to the doctors, to the medical clerics, to the documents, etc. But then they would also go home and pray. And they would go to their churches and pray. So there was a almost a symbiotic nature of the two. Whereas today it's almost inconceivable to do both. Yeah, it's seen as counterintuitive and contradictory. Right. Like if you say, oh, I'm a religious person, it kind of means, oh, we're anti-science. You don't believe in evolution. And you don't do this. Of course, I'm. this is a blanket term, yeah. conflating. But in America, at least, and I apologize for speaking of America so much, but it feels like such a just great case example of all these issues because <laughs> the country's just imploding on itself. But a lot of the people that aren't wearing masks are those who think that this is a lie, that this is a joke, again, Mm -hmm. Boccaccio, that they don't need to. Yeah, Um, that they're somehow superior. Right. And then on the inverse, I guess you could say that scientists think that those who believe in religion are full of hullabaloo, which it's interesting because science itself and a lot of the way that a lot of people talk about it and utilize it is almost its own form of modern religion. Yeah, it is. It's really, but you know, uh, sorry, going back on what you were saying about you know, the people who aren't wearing masks, I feel like mm-hmm. I see this here too. And it's also interestingly people who are from the far right, who feel like this is your belief or like your um, fear. Mm-hmm. is not accurate and that you're actually taking away some of their rights and which is just ridiculous it's just it doesn't make sense it's not really well well reasoned yeah it's bonkers that people the the reasons that people come up with for not wanting to wear a mask and again like we were discussing earlier in this episode the mentality of oh, it's inconvenient for me. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, Rather, realistic. this is good for the community. I'm helping protect individuals. And yeah. if you think about it, of uh, people not wearing masks, especially inconsiderate for those who are more susceptible to the virus because they're immunocompromised or yeah. they're battling cancer or any, other reason. any of the other reasons, which there are a lot. It's... Or you don't know that you have a condition that the virus may 
prey on, though the coronavirus has also been shown to be very indiscriminate in yeah. the population that it attacks, just like the good old black plague. <laughs> 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 um, the, the virus doesn't care. It doesn't care. The virus, it just needs a host. You should care. <laughs> you should care. Wear, wear a damn mask. <laughs> um, I'm sure all of you listeners wear your masks. It's not to, it's not to you know, prey on you. <laughs> right. And if you don't, start. Please. 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 The Middle Ages, they did their best. And so should we. Yes. Any other thoughts? I'm good for now. <laughs> Me too. Um, check out the Decameron audiobook. That's a thing to do right now. I bet there's a comic book version as well. I'm sure there is. Watch the Seventh Seal. Yes, watch the Seventh Seal. Um, and also follow us on please? our social media platforms, please. <laughs> so you can find us on our Facebook page, Modern Medieval, the podcast. It has all access to our other social media. It's friendly. Post something there if you want. We are also currently using SoundCloud, which is where you're most likely listening to this episode, as our home platform for the time being, as it seems the most user-friendly as well as the most visually satisfying at the moment as we try to establish our Podbean account. We do have a Podbean account website. I don't know what the proper term is, but it's we Modern Medieval <laughs> Podcast at Podbean. We've and got an Instagram. We've also got an Instagram that is podcast.modern.medieval. That one's a little shake up due to us discovering that there is an Instagram account called modern.medieval that is a like soft erotica <laughs> account if that's your thing go check them out but we just didn't want to offend these people and offend <laughs> them we also have a twitter account which we are starting off with that is called modern.medieval and the tag for it is medieval underscore modern as modern medieval was taken but easy to find and then finally if you just want to send us a good old-fashioned email, you can find us at modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com. And last thing, if you have any remarks, any suggestions, want to come on the show, just let us know. Yeah, with any one of those numerous <laughs> platforms. So, yeah, until next time, I'm Megan. And I'm Ello. Do <laughs> do